Well, as we get started this morning, I want to say good morning. It's great to see everyone. Um, I'm really excited this morning to be able to introduce Nate and Megan Jernigan to you. And um, you guys just got to experience him leading us in worship. And so Nate is here as our interim worship pastor, and I'm so thankful for his leadership. But I wanted you guys to get to meet them as a couple um, today to be able to, to welcome them into First Baptist family. Uh, but also I wanted them to share a little bit about what life looks like for them, because this is not the only part of life for them. In fact, this is just maybe one of the, the, the more joyful parts of a lot of like a lot of moving parts right now. So tell us a little bit about what life looks like right now for you guys. Thanks, Chad. And thank you guys for allowing us to come into your church and to lead you this morning. We're super thankful to be here in New Orleans. My wife, Megan, and I uh, lived here about 10 years ago. We got married 10 years ago, moved to New Orleans a week later, and, uh, and, and did our schooling here at New Orleans Seminary. And then I've been kind of all over uh, the last several years, and I'm back. And I, I just want you to know, I know this church, and I know your former leadership really well, Robert and Tim, and I don't know Ricky as well, but man, just super honored and thankful to be able to stand on the shoulders of some incredibly faithful men who have done an incredible job of leading this church uh, so well. Megan and I are, uh, are not quite transitioned to New Orleans fully yet. I'm going to be teaching at the seminary, have been for a few weeks. Uh, Megan is finishing up her nurse practitioner degree in uh, Alabama at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. We're not Alabama fans. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, you can stay. Yeah. I am, however, yeah. a Florida State fan. There you so, go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> so Megan will join me uh, in a few weeks once she finishes her clinical rotations in Alabama, and then we'll be here. But for the next few weeks, we'll be apart. So yeah, that's a little bit of our, our yeah. story right now, where we are. Well, I know there's a lot of uh, moving parts, finishing up school the last couple of weeks you're in right now. And so I know that that's really stressful. And then I can't imagine starting as a professorship, uh, preparing home to sell and all those pieces, moving down here, just a lot of things. We were talking earlier just about like the, you know, the washing machine and dryer here. Um, and so having to pack in your luggage, all of your dirty clothes to come and do laundry in New Orleans to bring it back, you know, a lot of details. So I want to pray for you guys as y'all are in the, the midst of all this right now. And we're so grateful to have you here at First Baptist. Father, thank you so much for Nate and Megan. It is such a joy for Father, to be able to walk with other brothers and sisters who love you, um, Father, who are walking in your way. So we just pray thanking you for sending them for this period um, in the life of First Baptist New Orleans, God. Thank you for Nate being able to use the gifts that you've given him for the building up of the church. Um, I pray, Father, for him that he would have wisdom in his leadership, Father, and then all of our hearts, Father, would continually be surrendered to you. Pray for Megan, Father, she is going back and forth right now, and just all the details of finishing up school. I pray, Father, that she would finish well. Um, I thank you so much that she is pursuing her calling, Father, in the medical field. Um, We're we so thankful for our medical professionals, God, and all that they do on the front lines. So God, continue to be with them. Um, thank you for her service. Um, Father, I pray um, that this would be a time for First Baptist New Orleans where we continue to draw close to you uh, together as one family. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Welcome, thank you guys so much. It's great to have you. Thank you, Sadie. You're such a sweet introduction. 
Well, this morning we are in a sermon series called In the Middle. And my hope with this series is that it's meeting you right in the middle of whatever you're going through. Because we all find ourselves kind of in the middle of something. Um, it could be the middle of a financial difficulty. It could be the middle of a relational strain. It could be in the middle of like a big business transaction or a career move or, or even maybe just a big project at work right now that's really producing a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, it could be right in the middle of a really tough time if you're a student right now of some friend drama. Is, is it's often called, of just like that tension of relationships and all those kind of things. Um, or it could be right in the middle of, of a different kind of crisis, like a health crisis or something that's more life altering or even life ending. And so there's all of these things that are going on, but I believe very confidently that God's word meets us kind of even right in the middle of scripture, right in the middle of where we are. And so today we're gonna be looking over at the book of Proverbs, but this sermon is intended to be big picture, okay? So we're not gonna just look at one proverb, and talk about how that proverb applies to our life. We're gonna look at kind of the, the bigger picture of Proverbs as a, as a unit of text that is a type of literature in the Old Testament called wisdom literature. And we're gonna look at how its placement in our life should really begin to shape us and, and refine how we think and how we interact with one another and in all of our spheres. And in fact, I believe it meets us right in the middle of whatever we're going through. Well, one of the, the needs of every person Every person is this, leadership. Now, I know you won't read about that one on a list of hierarchical, hierarchical needs, you know, food and water and shelter and care and all those things, but every person in this room needs leadership. And in fact, I would say we are all looking for leadership. When there's not leadership in our life, when there's not someone influencing us and helping to give us understanding of things, we feel a little bit aimless and directionless because we are hardwired with a need for leadership. We need to be led. And in the same way, we are created to lead. We're gonna influence other people. I love John Maxwell, the kind of the leadership guru, his definition of leadership. He says this, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is influence. And so leaders then populate this room. You have influence in the life of someone. You say, well, Chad, you don't know me. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not an influencer. You are influencing the people around you. And the sooner you wake up to that reality, the more seriously you'll take that responsibility. You are influencing the people around you, but to what end? In what direction? Where is that leadership taking you? A story from my own life of influence was during my early years uh, here in New Orleans at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I would, we, Cole and I had moved here a year before Hurricane Katrina and we were attending Edgewater Baptist Church, which is over on Paris Avenue in between Holy Cross and JFK High School. And as we were attending Edgewater Baptist Church, at the beginning of our time there, Dr. Jim Shaddix, who was a preaching professor at the New Orleans Baptist Seminary, was our pastor, but then he moved to Colorado to pastor a church there. And we were in an interim period on that back half of 2004 into 2005, leading up to Hurricane Katrina, where there were two pastors that were kind of helping to share the preaching responsibility. One was Dr. Bob Stewart, that if you're a, a student or faculty at the, at the seminary, you know Dr. Bob Stewart, a philosopher, a theologian, and a wonderful teacher of God's word. And the other was a name that probably more of you will know. His name was David Platt. David Platt was preaching. And David was preaching on a regular basis. He was on staff at the church. He wasn't the senior pastor at Edgewater. He was, he was uh, under Dr. Shaddix and was working on his doctorate. And then he would be leaving from there after Katrina to go to the church at Brook Hills, where he became more of a household name when he wrote books like um, Radical and others like that. 
But David was somebody that as I sat there week after week and listening to his preaching about God's heart for the nations and that we were created to bring glory to God by making disciples of all nations. After, I mean, week after week of hearing this message kind of drilled into me, it began to influence me and began to cause me to look at the world in an entirely different way. It began to, to shape the way that I saw my existence as a believer and our existence as the church was, was toward this global bent of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. That, that it wasn't just about growing big churches here in the United States. It was about getting the gospel to the hardest to reach places. And that began to then alter everything that I understood about why we exist, why we gather, what we ought to prioritize and all these things. But you wanna know something else that happened because I was listening to David Platt so much? Well, I was listening to him and then Katrina happened and then he went to Brook Hills and I was listening to him from their podcasts and stuff like that. And then I became the pastor at Edgewater Baptist Church and began my pastorate there. And so I'm still listening to David. How many of you listen to some other preacher like Charles Stanley or David Jeremiah or somebody on a podcast, you know, like lots of names out there. So I'm listening to Dave and all that. And one day, one of the members at Edgewater, Dr. Charlie Ray, um, after the sermon, I think he did this in love, you know, to help me. He was like, Chad, you know, he's like, I closed my eyes today. I could have sworn it was David Platt up there preaching. <laughs> it didn't, I don't think he meant it to say it was the content that David would have been preaching. I had begun to sound like him. I was imitating David Platt. I was beginning to make these desperate appeals in the same way that David Platt would do, where I was, you know, getting really hyped up and emotional and all these things. I was sounding like David Platt. Why was that? because he had influenced me. You see, influence is one of those things. Influence happens in all these ways. I did not look to David Platt to know how to sound as a preacher. I wasn't looking to him to just impact, you know, the way I form my vowels and the, and the inflection of my voice and how I would rise at certain points. That wasn't why I was listening to David Platt. I was listening to David because of the influence on my thinking, on the influence of how I understood the word of God and how I preached the word of God and all these things. But that's how influence works. It ripples out in these ways that we don't expect. And we need to be aware of that that influence works that way. Because when we look around and we consider the research, Forbes magazine publishing an article in June of 2021 notes that 74% of Americans subscribe to a streaming service like Netflix. So three out of four of Americans have some sort of a streaming service subscription where content is coming in, influence is coming in. Americans spend on average 3.29 hours per day watching TV. That's 1,200 hours per year. If you watched TV for eight hours a day at 1,200 hours per year, you'd be spending 150 working days, eight-hour days watching TV, the average American. Americans spend on average 3.49 hours, so just up a little bit more on their phone, just looking at their screen for whatever purpose. The average American spends, the average American Facebook user spends 58 minutes a day on Facebook. That's 352 hours per year. If you, you know, did that at eight hours a day, you spend 44 working days just perusing Facebook. The average American spends, the average American Instagram user spends 53 minutes a day on Instagram. 
But according to research conducted by Christianity Today, 26 million Americans stopped reading the Bible completely during COVID-19. 26 million Americans. And today, only 10% of Americans, one in 10, report reading their Bible at all. Influence. We, we pick up on stuff we didn't mean to pick up on. When we're watching a series or we're watching stuff or we're looking on Facebook and, and things are influencing us, there's a lot of things that we're mindful of that I don't want that influence, but there's a lot like me imitating the way that David Platt talked that I didn't mean to pick up on, but I picked up on it and I began to mimic it because it was influencing me. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we are being influenced all the time. We're constantly being influenced. And so today, my job as a pastor is to exhort you, to exhort us as God's people to let his word begin to shape and influence us more and more and more without apology. Today, I'm gonna challenge you to read Proverbs on a daily basis. You say, well, Chad, man, like daily? Yeah, daily. Because the average American, if we're average in this room, you're already spending 58 minutes a day on Facebook. You're spending 53 minutes a day on Instagram. You're spending three and a half hours a day on the TV. So why would I timidly say, well, if you could have some time to read God's word, try you know, to squeeze in a little bit, rather than saying, fill your time with that which is good, that which will benefit you in every regard, right in the middle of whatever you're going through. Why, why wouldn't I get up here and beg you to do what is going to serve you and your family well, that's going to lead to you thriving in this life? Why wouldn't I get up here and do that? Truth be told, it's because the own influences in my own life are the same as yours. And that's why it's so important that we together turn to God's word and see in Proverbs 13. I wanna invite you to turn to Proverbs 13, verse 20. This is gonna be our key verse this morning. I wanna encourage you to memorize this verse because it helps you to understand the importance of turning to God in his word on a regular basis and allowing that influence to just constantly hit you and shape you and begin to train the way that you think. And I want you to stand just for the reading of one passage today from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. God's word says this, and let all that are in here take this to heart. The one who walks with the wise will become wise but a companion of fools will suffer harm. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. We pray with me. Father, I pray this morning that we will walk away impacted by your word, but also challenged by the invitation of your word to come, to come, to come all who are hungry, to come all who are thirsty, to draw near to you, the living God, in your word, to experience what you alone can give life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We are walking through 
various things in our life as we've already established. But the main idea that I want to communicate today is this. We need more influence from God. And the surest way to receive that influence is reading God's word in community. You're a community. You have relationship with one another. We cultivate those relationships in our Bible study groups. That's why they're so important. There's an aspect of it that we're going to spend time in God's word, looking at passages together and reading through it in community. But we also walk with one another in life. We share in the joys of life and the sorrows of life together. That's what our Bible study groups are intended to be because we together are wanting to draw close to God. But what about the Proverbs uniquely? How have they been used by other Christian leaders that should tip us off to their value in our lives? Each one of us that would be aspiring to leadership Kelly King, the women's ministry director for LifeWay said this, are you a woman that leads? As a leader, the poetry and wisdom books of scripture, which includes Proverbs, should be a regular part of your devotional habit. Billy Graham, respected by many as the preeminent evangelist of the 20th century, read the Psalms and the Proverbs every day of the month as part of his spiritual devotion. And as your pastor, I want to invite each and every one of you, just as I personally desire for myself and my family to be walking in wisdom. It's knowing what God wants. Wisdom is fearing God, honoring him. And so how are we going to do that? We're going to do it in accordance with this word. But here's the reality. We don't need wisdom just for big decisions. That's one of the ditches that we fall in on this one. Right? I mean, it's like in those moments when I'm like, man, do I take this job, this life altering job change that's going to move me and change everything? You know, like, I need wisdom. I need wisdom. So, so, what do we do? In those moments, we usually turn to people that we consider to be godly leaders, right? We'll, we'll turn to a friend or to a parent or a grandparent or a pastor or someone in our life that we consider to be a spiritual leader. And we say, you know, what should I do in this situation? But the reality, for most of us, before we ever get to that big decision moment, is that we would probably very clearly see the big decision much better if on a regular basis, we were taking in, being influenced by the wisdom of God's word for all of the little decisions that we have to make on a daily basis. Is it wise for me to buy this product or not? Is it wise for me to watch this program or not? Is it wise for me to take this trip or not, to do this business deal or not? To, 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 to have this relationship or not. You know, like all of these things come to bear in God's word in the Proverbs to where then when we come to the big moments, the big decisions, I think those become a lot more clear, no less weighty, no less significant, but perhaps more clear when a lot else in our life is already being walked in wisdom. The simplest practice for taking in wisdom from God's word is to read the chapter of Proverbs corresponding to the day of the month. For example, today is September 11th. So you could read Proverbs 11 today. Now in our Bible reading plan, we're going through the Proverbs right now. And so I wanna encourage you, supplement, add to your normal Bible reading. You're like, Chad, it's already tough to be able to keep up with the Bible reading plan that we're doing as a church. Without apology, I encourage you to add to it. Remember, Remember all those statistics that I just cited about the influence that's coming into our life. 
So of course, I'm going to want there to be greater influence in, from God's word in your life and in mine. And part of influence comes from just the interaction with, the reading of, the hearing of. And listen, there are so many Bible apps that, you, that will sing the Bible to you, speak the Bible dramatically to you, all of these things. We have all of these resources that you can accompany the Bible reading with. So we are without excuse. Like there's, there's really no reason that we neglect it the way that we do, other than at times a laziness to which the Proverbs speak of. They, they talk about the danger of laziness. And listen, this sermon is for Chad Gilbert. Okay, God has been, been, been confronting Chad Gilbert with this message and the need for Proverbs in my life. In fact, when I'm healthiest and I feel like I'm most connected to God and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm walking humbly with him is when I'm in the Psalms and Proverbs on a regular basis. But when I deviate and I get away from it, I find that there's a lot more times I'm like, man, I should have thought about that more. I should have prayed about that more. I should have done that different. What I hope to show you in the next several moments is what God's word would have spoken to you in the last week had you been in the habit of reading just a chapter a day from the Proverbs. And listen, you know, give yourself grace if you only make it through a few verses of that chapter. Great, that's influence. God's word came into your life and began to shape your thinking. That's wonderful. Most people never crack open the Bible. I encourage you, be gracious to yourself, but form the habit of opening the Bible and turning to that chapter and taking in God's word. Over the last five days, we would have experienced chapters five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, leading up to today on the 11th. So what would God's word have spoken into our lives about? Because I feel like I need to kind of convince you of the merit of this. I know we all know like, you know, yeah, I should read the Bible more, I should pray more. And we kind of like lament that. And we just kind of like say, well, you know, but okay, you know, I'll just never do enough. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to stack up this, you know, shame on you. I can't believe you're not reading the Bible more. But I am saying to us, we are being influenced and we wonder why life is so hard and why it's so much more difficult than maybe it should be. And God's word is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And there is rest to be found in God's word. So what would his word have spoken to you? Let's just try this on for a second. If you have been reading along in the last week, just opening to Proverbs chapters five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, what would it have spoken to you this week? Well, first of all, it would have spoken to you about your mouth. How many of you, your mouth gets you in trouble? Anybody? Just me, okay. My mouth gets me in trouble. I say something, you know, like, was it just last night? It was just last night, you know, I got snippy or whatever. Cole like gave me the look, you know, she just like, you know, like looked at me, I was like, I'm sorry. You know, like, I mean, just immediately, you know, a, a tone, a, a word, a snippy moment. I don't even remember what it was, but you know, it was one of those things where I just was like immediate. I'm like, why am I being so testy about this? My mouth, it gets me in trouble. But God's word, if I had been reading it on a daily basis this week, it would have told me in chapter 10, verse 18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever spreads slander is a fool. It would have warned me about that. Verse 19, when there are many words, sin is unavoid, unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. And my Lord, that's right, Aristide, because listen, 
Many are the words on Facebook and Twitter and other mediums. And we need to think about our thumbs as an extension of our mouth these days. Chapter 10, verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And so we have all of these warnings speaking about the importance of the mouth and about what comes out of my mouth and that my mouth should be a fountain of life. My wife should benefit from what is said in the home and the way that I say it and what I say. My kids should benefit. They should be feeling like they're being nourished and saturated with good from what comes out of me. And so there's all of these things that it speaks to about the mouth. Second, I mean, you're going through in these Proverbs, it speaks about seduction. It speaks about seduction, being tempted or lured in. In chapter seven, I mean, I'm sorry, in chapter five, verses three through 14, we read this. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps head straight to Sheol, that's the grave. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now sons, listen to me. I mean, listen to how God speaks to us as father in his word. And don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your hard earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed and you will say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I am on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. How many of you want your life to end that way? Me either and God either. And God in his grace is warning you against seduction. Now, let me just like do a timeout on this because some in, even in Southern Baptist life use passages like this to kind of like blame women for their lack of self-control. So let me just be real clear about this. This is not blaming women as, as you know, men and women, just all women are seductive and, and they're all just homewreckers trying to destroy our lives. And so therefore we need to really resist all women and all, that's not what it's saying. In fact, it could be very easily understood that men could function in the same way that the woman is in this passage. There's many, especially, let me just give you the warning that in the fitness industry, there's a lot of dudes that love to personally coach women because they have bad intentions, because they're hoping to break relationships and have affairs with women. So be on your guard. It can be men or women that are intentionally trying to pull you away. And that's the warning here. So let's be mindful that we allow it to stand as it does, not blaming women because men have a lack of self-control, but instead to be on our guard against those that are intentionally trying to allure us and seduce us. You may be in that very throw right now. God's word speaks to you right in the middle of the temptation that you're facing. All of chapter seven concludes with this, all of chapter seven being a warning against going that way, 
I mean, a, a real practical example would be this of saying, you know, like, hey, I, I'm just going to go down to, to Bourbon Street to just like, just go see what things are like now. I'm kind of curious, you know, like what a post-COVID Bourbon Street looks like. And so I'm just going to go down there and just kind of walk the street and, and see what I see. Well, you know what you're going to see. That's why you're going. And the writer of Proverbs says, don't even go on that street He says, I look out my window and I see this fool going down that street, going to do the very thing that he knows is wrong. And he goes all in this banner of curiosity and I just wonder and all those kind of things, but there is evil bound up in his heart. And then the writer concludes, he says, now sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words from my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her paths, for she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to the grave, to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. God warning us. I don't know anyone personally that has gotten entangled either in going to strip clubs or in an affair or an addiction to pornography that says, I'm really glad at the outcome of this. I'm really glad that all of these things happen. I, I was really pleased with the process and, and felt like the outcome is what I would want in life. No, I have not met that person. They may be deceived for a moment and think that what they've done is better, but they will wake up one day to the reality that God's w- word is warning us to today. Seduction. God's word today or in, in chapter five speaks about marriage. In this contrasting picture, the father speaks to his sons, and this applies to men and women, okay, of just the enjoying your marriage. He says, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow into the streets, streams into the public squares? They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? He's calling you to be faithful in marriage. It's the same message that God's word speaks over in Ephesians, where where Paul is encouraging faithfulness in marriage and and a dying to self. Husbands, love your, your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then we say, oh, the word submission and all these things. We're forfeiting the influence of God's word and the thriving life that it extends and invites us to. Marriage, financial decisions. In chapter six, my son, if you put up security for your neighbor or entered into an agreement with a stranger, you have been, you have been snared in the words of your mouth, trapped by the words of your mouth. Any of you have made a rash promise? Yeah, I'll take care of that. Hey, if you need anything, just let me know. Any of those? And then somebody cashes in the, the, the offer and it's a much bigger number. It's a much bigger situation than you were anticipating. He says this, do this then my son and free yourself for you have put yourself in your neighbor's power. Go humble yourself and plead with your neighbor. Don't give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids. Escape like a gazelle from a hunter, like a bird from a hunter's trap. And if you've ever been hunting an animal and it got away, you know that it was bolting like lightning to get away from you. 
And that's what he says, man, flee those entanglements. Be careful with your words. Don't put up, he goes back and says, you know, you put up security for your neighbor. And this speaks into financial situations that we find ourselves in today. Even things like co-signing on a loan or something like that of basically saying, yeah, I'll take care of this if they default. And then they default and it falls to you and you weren't prepared for that. You were just trying to be a good guy in that situation. God's word is speaking to you about the danger, the caution that you need on financial decisions that you're making in your life right now. God's word speaks to us about work ethic. You know, that's one thing that I hear, you know, uh, one generation, you know, lamenting about a younger generation is, man, they just don't work. They do not like to work. It's like they're allergic to hard work. They don't want anything about it. God's word speaks in chapter six, go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little slumber, a little, a little sleep, a little folding of the arms to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber, your need like a bandit. God's word speaks to us about work ethic and the importance of even looking at his creation to help learn a lesson in how we should live our lives and structure our days. It speaks to us about the, the need to work hard in this life. And that's a corrective that we all need. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Chapter 10, the son who gathers during summer is prudent but the son who sleeps during harvest is disgraceful. The picture being like just all the foods out in the field, it's just rotting. It's just gonna rot and go to waste. We go on and we're reminded that God sees. And this is, this is like eye-opening. This should really you know, make us aware in all of life that God sees. In chapter five, we would have read, for a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes and he considers all his paths. In other words, God is aware of everywhere you went this week. God saw every moment that you spent. His eyes were on you. And chances are for a lot of us, we're like, man, his, his wrathful eyes are on me. His, his eyes of disgust were on me. His eyes of hatred were on me. But that's not the message of the gospel. That's not the message that we in Christ are to understand the loving eyes of the Father to be looking upon us with. Chapter six goes on, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. These are the kind of passages, these little snippets of text are the ones that we need to bury deep down in our hearts that you and I need to recall in moments of temptation, in moments of weakness, in moments when we're being tempted to maybe do something we shouldn't do or tempted to just not do the things we ought to do. It's temptation in both directions to do something we shouldn't do and then neglect the very thing we should do. That the Lord's eyes, that, that the man, for a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes and he considers all his paths. But the reality for us as we consider that God's eyes are upon us is this reality 
that he looks upon us now with favor. (laughs) Chapter eight, for the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but the one who misses me harms himself. All who hate me love death. It's speaking of wisdom here. Chapter eight of Proverbs is about wisdom kind of personified. It's spoken of in all of these incredible terms of being God's delight, present at the very beginning of all of creation and all of these things that wisdom was preeminent in all of these things. And that wisdom still remains this this highest thing that we should strive for and reach for and long for and, and, and get. But what scripture makes clear is that wisdom came down in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the wisdom of God. When we look at Jesus, we behold the wisdom of God in flesh, God with us. And this wisdom, all of this wisdom of God bound up in the Holy Scriptures is now given to us in Christ that we might walk in wisdom. Proverbs speaks about getting a heart of wisdom that you might fear the Lord. And that word fear should be translated in a lot of ways. It should almost be like a a, a, a little slash after slash after slash. Fear, honor, respect, revere, in awe. That's how we should translate that word over and over again to really give it its full meaning of what our lives are to look like in light of God's word. But all of that, don't miss it, was just in the corrective of reading God's word on a daily basis. Because God in his grace ultimately has been leading you and I in all of his word to a person and to a personal relationship with that person, Jesus Christ. God in his grace sent Jesus to come down and to live among us, but he every step of the way walked in wisdom. Every interaction that he had with a female was done with perfect wisdom. There there was never compromise. He never put her in a compromised position and he never allowed himself to go in a direction that would have been compromised. Every time that he spoke a word, even with people who hated him, who were blowing him up on Facebook, he had the perfectly wise return statement to give them that helped them to see the error of their ways and maintained his perfect righteousness. Jesus, Jesus is the wisdom of God given to us that now by the presence of his Holy Spirit leads us to turn to Jesus and say in Proverbs, Jesus, please shape and influence my life every day with your word. And this becomes the way that we live. I started off, many are the influences in our lives. Many are the influences in our life. I wanna challenge you to increase the influence of God's word in your life. You and I need that influence. But you know, influence is how John Maxwell defined leadership. And what you and I need, remember how this sermon started, is a leader. And that leader is Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never said yes to the leadership of Jesus Christ in your life, that's the most wise decision you will ever make. 
But with our foolish hearts, we can't even make that wise decision on our own. We are dependent on his grace to even help us to see with his kindness that we are sinners and that he is a gracious God who's given his son. You see, the reality that the Bible speaks of is that we live in a broken world full of broken people. Unwise living characterizes everything around us and it, un, and it characterizes us. But wisdom was revealed in the garden in God's design. It's beautiful, beautiful wisdom of a relationship with God and a wisdom of a relationship with one another. But sin entered into the world and it has been separating us from God and from one another ever since. But God sent his one and only son to come and to die on the cross for your sins and for mine, who was then buried in a tomb and was then raised on the third day seen by many witnesses, ascended into heaven with the promise that one day he will return. And the wisdom of God invites you to turn from your brokenness and sin and to turn and trust and follow Jesus and wisdom. And that in that new relationship, you begin to grow in the wisdom of God and grow in the wisdom of God and grow in the wisdom of God. So will you grow? Will you walk with Jesus? Father, I pray in this moment for the person that maybe for the very first time is realizing they have been walking a foolish path, that they would not be tempted to just think that by reading the Bible, they're gonna be good. Instead, they would realize they need the influence, the leadership of Jesus Christ in their life. They need him to be Lord. And so I pray that right in their seat, they would pray a prayer like this, God, I need you. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I need you to come into my life and take over. I need your influence and your salvation and your leadership in my life. God, I give my life to you. Please take me and make me your own. If you pray a prayer like that, I pray that you will experience the love of God for the first time today. Love that fills your soul and lets you know that you belong to him now but that you are also part of a family. I'm gonna be standing here. Pastor Noah's gonna be standing on this side and we're gonna be here able to pray with you. But I wanna invite everyone to stand as we sing a song of worship to the Lord because of the grace that he has given. But if you're here today and you just prayed to receive Christ, to give your life to him, I wanna invite you to come in this moment so that we might have a word of prayer with you. Let us sing together.